0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is this, uh, not December, it's February the 2nd, 2022, long time Viewers and listeners of this show, it used to be actually a TechCrunch show, know that one of my favorite writers is Tom Wolfe, and perhaps my favorite book of his is Bonfire of the Vanities, his 1987 satirical novel. There are two main characters in this, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, the Wasp. Bond trader, Sherman McCoy, and a a British expatriate journalist, Peter Fallow. There's a third, an assistant district attorney doesn't count. Um, Wolfe was not a big fan of British journalists, and Peter Fallow was uh, a a rather brutal satire on uh, our old friend Christopher Hitchin. But uh, Sherman McCoy was the original... um, master of the universe uh and when wolf was interviewed by npr about 30 years after 20 years after the book came out in 2008 he said um where are they now these masters of the universe wolf said two words hedge funds if we were able to bring wolf back unfortunately we couldn't or we can't because he's no longer around those two words of Changed. I think today the masters of the universe are venture capitalists who, of course, invest um, in venture capital. We've done quite a lot of shows on uh, venture capital recently. Uh, at the beginning of the week, uh, I had my old friend Albert Wenger on the show. Uh, Albert is one of New York's top early stage venture capitalists uh he's a partner at union square ventures one of the investors in a lot of early stage big tech companies like twitter um he's written a book called uh the world after capital interestingly it's not entitled the world after venture capital i don't know what albert thinks the world will look like in the future uh whether venture capitalists will exist um Late last week, actually at the weekend, I also had my old friend Chris Schroeder on the show, another early stage venture capitalist, talking about the new new thing in Silicon Valley, cryptocurrency and Web three. We are continuing the theme of big tech and uh, investment and venture capital uh, with my guest today, uh, Sebastian Malaby is a distinguished financial journalist. He's written a number of books and is. New book is just out today, uh, or actually, I think it was yesterday The Power Law Venture Capital and the Making of the New Future. Uh, he's a British journalist. I'm not sure if he's like uh, the character satirized in uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, but he's certainly someone who has had a front seat on venture capital. Uh, Sebastian, welcome. Why the book yeah, on cool. venture capital? Uh, it's a significant book investment of your time. Uh, it's its one of the best, I think, narratives, certainly one of the comprehensive narratives on the venture capital industry. Why do we need it? Uh, and indeed, how is venture capital uh, making what you call the new future?
1: Well, great to be with you. I'd say a couple of things about why I was willing to spend five years on this project. I, I five years, Sebastian? Five years. That's what it takes me to network my way in, get to see the key players and really try to understand it well. My my, my feeling is why spend, you know, two if you spent two years and you wrote two and a half books in five years, I don't think that's better because people don't necessarily have time to read more books. <laughs> what they want to do is read good books. And so I try to deliver on a perfectionist basis. My, my well, I have Sims, to say,
0: uh, Sebastian, at least when it comes yeah. to my books, uh, the quicker i do them the better they are the longer i take the bigger failures they are so i'm not actually uh, really? investing a lot of time <laughs> in is necessarily a good invest. Uh, speaking of investment a good investment of one's time but that's another subject go on
1: okay okay well we could debate that i've tried it short i've tried it long anyway uh, with venture capital i think there are a couple of reasons that you know i wanted to to do this the first is simply that you know it is i think the most exciting form of Financial activity at the moment. Um, Technology obviously dominates not only the stock market, but society, the way we find information, the way we think, the way we arrive at quiet epiphanies. Um, And that basically comes from venture capital. Um, Quiet
0: epiphanies, Sebastian? Some epiphanies are noisy, aren't
1: they? Well, they might be noisy, but I mean, when I'm sitting at my desk and uh, I've just discovered something amazing on Google. I tend not to scream, maybe you scream, but I tend to be quiet.
0: <laughs> well, you, you're, with that library behind you, it's probably not appropriate to scream. I, I scream, I live in America, everyone <laughs> screams here, maybe in England. Maybe they Venture capitalists are pretty noisy lot, aren't they? <laughs>
1: yeah, um, well, at least they, they have to be outward going, they don't have to be noisy, but I think they've got to, you know, they, they, what they do is form networks. and we can It's interesting.
0: Sebastian, that you begin your book with a, a venture capitalist called Vinod Kostler. Uh He was on my show when it was a TechCrunch show more than 10 years ago. Uh, he's a man who divides people, doesn't he? And you seem to sort of tag him as the epitome of all the best and worst in venture capital. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, the sheer audacity, the the willingness to take these really contrarian bets. Um, I profiled his bet on you know, impossible foods, which worked out um, the kind of meatless hamburger. But there are other ones that come up in the book, like Go, which was an early attempt at a tablet, completely failed uh, and was just a sort of profile in venture capital hubris. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the other thing I should say is that venture capital is is an intellectual mystery. Other kinds of investing involve numerical guideposts. You know, if you're trying to do public stock investing, the first thing you do is is discount the future cash flow. In venture, there is no cash flow to discount, right? You've got only two-legged mammals walking into your office with a dream. You can't tell what their book value is or their revenues or anything. So how do you even begin to allocate capital under that intense uncertainty? That was an intellectual mystery I wanted to unravel. Uh, the book
0: is called The Power Law. Um... And you you take that term from an economic phenomenon. Um, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, it's about, uh, and I'm quoting Wikipedia, in, stati- in statistics, the power law is a functional relationship between two quantities where a, a relative change in one quantity results in a proportional relative change in the other quantity, independent of the initial size of those quantities. In other words, something goes up very fast. That's what the power law is, isn't it?
1: It's, that's right. It's about exponential takeoff, and it's also about the distribution of returns. It's saying that you know, if you have a portfolio of ten bets in ten startups, probably about eight will go to zero. You'll lose your money, uh, and then you hope that the other two will do ten x, twenty x, and make back your whole fund. So it's that's a game a of going
0: to Las Vegas, uh, uh, Sebastian. That's what we do in in Vegas. We we take hundred dollars, and we hope that one or two of those dollars will result in a big win
1: i mean there's this you know to to the extent you've described it yes i agree there's a similarity but in venture investing although there is this highly skewed um, return profile and it can look like luck when you when you get a good one maybe sometimes it is luck there is nonetheless a difference between people who make those shots at, you know those moon shots, uh who do that well and those who don't do so well because if you if you do it intelligently and you prepare your mind for what's coming down the pike in terms of new technologies or if you use decision science to discipline the way you think about these low probability high outcome bets um you can do better at it there is skill involved that was i mean that was yeah, the I thing mean, I no is
0: no doubting it. that i mean it's not just throwing throwing money on the red or the black
1: well you raised las vegas i thought i would yeah try to clarify <laughs>
0: You no, know, I, I apologize. Yeah. Um, we know these days that uh, according to Crunchbase News, uh, Crunchbase being the analytical uh, former arm of, uh, of TechCrunch, now a standalone company. I think my old friend Jean, Janae Tier is very much involved in that. Uh, according to Crunchbase, unicorns, which are billion dollar startups, are being minted in earlier rounds like never before. The startup economy. Financed by venture capital is, of course, incredibly hot. Um, Sebastian, uh, in terms of uh, your book, um, the review in the Financial Times is entitled The Power Law How Venture Capital Ate the Stock Market. Is that a fair summary? Is venture capital creating an alternative parallel economy which is way faster, way more lucrative, and successful than? the stock market as a a way of betting on futures or at least investing in futures?
1: I think it's almost more dramatic than that. I mean, venture capital kind of is becoming a good part of the economy. If you look at all the companies that went public on the stock market since since 1995, so last 25 years or so, you find that three quarters of the market capitalization comes from companies that were VC backed. So it's just, you know, for a relatively small amount of money in VC funds and the fact that fewer than 1% of American companies that start up each year get money from a VC. So they're financing a tiny proportion, but there's huge outcomes from that proportion. And so Google, you know, Facebook, Amazon, these companies, they're not just anecdotes, right? They are standing for something that's real about how these tech companies are dominating public finance.
0: And that's particularly true in COVID. I don't know what the numbers are today. I mean, the, the market's been up and down quite dramatically over the last few weeks, especially in January. But nonetheless, when you put the the basket of the big tech companies together, they increasingly dominate the American economy and indeed the world economy. You end uh, with a chapter on China. China has a very vibrant uh, venture capital um, market too. Uh, so. So, venture capitalists are controlling not just the small little pocket of weird Silicon Valley, but the entire economy, right?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look over history, there are different points in time when different financial mechanisms became really important. So, in the late 19th century, it was the joint stock company, the limited liability joint stock company. That's what made big corporations possible. If you fast forward a bit, you get to a period when Big was no longer great because you had the personal computer and you could re-engineer companies as a result. So along comes the junk bond and the leverage buyout uh, in order to make possible the complete rethinking and reshaping of corporate America. And today I would say we have another innovation, venture capital, which is ideally positioned to run these iterative experiments on startups to do applied science. And applied science is dominating how the economy, if it grows at all, is going to grow. We're we're through the area of of, of globalization. That's not the story anymore. We can't grow through demographic growth in most advanced economies because we have the graying of the population. So it's all about productivity gains and applying science. And that's what venture capitalists know how to do.
0: Uh, Your book is got a lot of reviews, uh, mostly good. But of course, the New York Times, which specializes in rather unfriendly reviews, uh, suggests that your book is a little too friendly uh, to uh, to the venture capital industry. Uh, Jennifer Zalai, they always seem to drag her out for bad reviews. She suggests in the book that um, you argue that the system what you just talked about of venture capital is a formidable engine of progress she's less convinced how would you respond uh to to zal i don't know how to pronounce her name Zali, uh in the Times' review suggesting that this isn't she she talks about the suicides at uber and all the other problematic elements of uh of, of so-called tech progress we deal with it on this show all the time something that Uh, summed up perhaps in a new kind of capitalism, surveillance capitalism. Do you think that uh, there are moral problems with this alternative universe? Is there less uh, ways of sort of morally evaluating these investments in the venture capital industry?
1: I think there are definitely issues with big tech. Um, You know, you can't be as big as Facebook or Amazon or Google without having multiple social impacts, some will be good and some will be bad. And the bad stuff is a legitimate target for government regulation and public concern. So uh, I'm fully on board with that. Where I would differ with the New York Times reviewer is that I don't think venture capital is the problem. I think that it might be the antidote. If you don't like big tech, you should love small tech. In other words, small startups backed by venture capitalists who are going to challenge the monopoly power of the big incumbent platforms we heard that um, though
0: in the in the 80s and, and certainly in the 90s we heard that in terms of challenging microsoft with google we heard it in terms of challenging the dominant taxi business with uber we heard it in terms of the hospitality business and airbnb but all it seems to have resulted and this isn't necessarily a criticism of venture capital it's really perhaps a reflection of your power law is that we have an increasingly winner-take-all economy. So Google replaces Microsoft and is even more powerful and perhaps even more problematic.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if you look back in time, you know, IBM was at one point the dominant computer company. That's not true anymore. And so companies like Microsoft, as another example, can seem way too big for their boots and then can be challenged. Uh, and that's healthy. And, you know, you could try to deal with the monopoly power of Google in search exclusively through antitrust mechanisms done by the government. The the reality is that antitrust is a super difficult route to go. You know, the, the history of antitrust in the United States is that these suits take 10 years or something and they're really difficult to prosecute. So I think it's crazy to exclude an additional avenue for challenging the power of the incumbents, which is to have upstart technologically backed challenges that shake things up. You know, the answer to disruption yeah, you know, the disruptors become the incumbents and then they need to be disrupted. I, I don't see anything wrong with that cycle. And I think it's you know, I, I don't really get why the New York Times would be against the guys who want to bring new technologies to people who are producing products that people want to buy. Um and yeah, you know, I, I it seems to me it's way better than it is problematic.
0: Sebastian, um the venture capitalists are disruptors, as you say, and they are disruptive personalities, whether it's a, a Wiener Kosler or a Mark Andreessen. The other criticism in The New York Times is that your book is not disruptive. It's a very conventional book. I'm not sure if that's a particularly fair criticism. Did you set out to write a traditional history? Um, You know, I began this show talking about uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, which still remains probably the best book about Wall Street. But of course, it itself is a disruptive book. Um, Can one write a non-fictional book about venture capitalists and make sense of it? Or perhaps are we waiting for the next Tom Wolfe to really leave us with a lasting historical legacy on venture capitalism and venture capitalists?
1: (laughs) Well, Tom Wolfe is a master. Um, or was and, a master. I don't think he's around Was anymore. a master. Okay. I actually, um, I, I write about Tom Wolfe a bit in uh, one of my early chapters in the Power Law uh, because he wrote a wonderful profile of um, Bob Noyce, the founder of Intel. Um, and he had this wonderful phrase. He said that, you know, Bob Noyce, who came from the middle of the Midwest, where the land is as flat as the social structure, arrived in silicon valley with that egalitarianism sewn into the lining of his coat i mean these are memorable words but they also create a story about the source of that equity options for everybody opportunity for everybody kind of silicon valley vibe which ascribes it to bob Noyce, the founder of intel who was no doubt a great guy but i think the true history is a little different because the person who liberated Noyce from the hierarchy that he came from, namely Shockley Semiconductor, and who actually made Noyce's career possible was the venture capitalist Arthur Rock who persuaded him to do it, who put up the- Yeah, and they
0: were both, uh, and and Noyce was part of the Tracerous Eight who reacted against William Shockley, who's another fascinating character, I want to come back after the break, um, actually, uh, Sebastian, and talk about the history. We'll begin with Arthur Rock. Uh, We are talking with Sebastian uh, Malaby, the author of a wonderful new book on venture capital called The Power Law, Venture Capital and Making of the New Future. Uh, After the break, we are going to talk um, with Sebastian about the history of venture capital more concretely. We'll begin with Arthur Rock, and we'll come all the way through to contemporary VCs in Silicon Valley. So hold on, everyone. We'll be back in about 60 seconds. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keen On show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keen On show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or Castbox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um in their podcast section which is dedicated to all the interviews uh if you're into watching this as opposed to simply listening um if you follow me on twitter at aj keen you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um if we're connected uh on linkedin i'm not on facebook i'm not a great fan of facebook but LitHub is and on their Lit Hub Live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to keenan We are back with Sebastian Malaby, the author of The Power Law, a really interesting new book about um the history of venture capitalism. Uh Sebastian had an interesting piece in the Washington Post uh recently behind the power law how a forgotten venture capitalist kickstarted uh silicon valley he was i guess an unknown rock star excusing the pun his name was arthur rock Uh, so what's so interesting about rock sebastian why did you begin your history with him
1: well he started um the first west coast venture fund that really took off successfully that was in 1961 and it was his extraordinary returns on that first fund which then you know, led to a a kind of gold rush of people trying to copy him once his success became evident. And so he sort of set the model, uh, and the model included the idea of power law returns, embracing risk. Instead of running away from the possibility that you might lose money on the startup, you accept that, but you're going for the real breakout hits. And secondly, you only use equity. There were various government programs around at the time which would try to put debt into startups to get uh, innovation going. Debt is not an appropriate thing for a startup because if you're trying to grow your company, you don't want to have to pay interest on any debt. Um, And so Rock created the basic tools and people copied him and that's how the valley took off.
0: You might mention a little bit about um, uh, William Shockley who was sort of indirectly, I guess, uh, uh, indirectly through the the traitorous eight, the, the eight uh, technologists who reacted against Shockley, the man behind the beginnings of venture capital, maybe not directly, but indirectly. What, what, tell me about Shockley and why he's such a shocking character.
1: Well, Shockley won a Nobel Prize for his role uh, as a physicist contributing to the early uh, discoveries that led to the semiconductor. So no doubt a great researcher, a great scientist. But when it came to being a manager, when he created his company um, in 1951, I think it was. uh, 50, sorry, it's 56. He set it up in 56. And uh, the people that he hired were terrifically bright because he was a Nobel laureate and so he could do that. But once they joined his company, he mistreated them appallingly. Uh, If they said they wanted to write something uh, academically to publish, he would say, yes, of course, and scribble down a few notes and say, "Here, yeah, you can flesh this out and publish this. You know, he would he would laugh at people and say, you stupidly settled for this salary that I was offering. You should have pushed for more. He was just a terrible guy to work for. So, And he was also a notorious
0: though. racist who, I think, later in his life.
1: That's also true. Yes. He
0: uh, became a clear. theorist of eugenics and of whites being superior biologically to, right. to black. So he is a very troubling character. And And he was, as you suggested, he triggered the Traitorous Eight uh, um, who went on to found um, Intel that uh, Arthur Rock founded. One of the characters was a man who uh, in the Traitorous Eight was uh, uh, Eugene uh, Kleiner, who went on to found Kleiner Perkins. Um, Other VCs, uh, very distinguished. uh, John Doerr, who uh, is perhaps the top best known uh, venture capital at um, at um, at Kleiner Perkins. Uh, in the book, you talk about um, Doerr uh, when he was offered a job with Kleiner Perkins. The Intel president, Andy Grove, a brilliant Hungarian uh, emigre, told him, John, venture capital, that's not a real job. It's like being a real estate agent uh grove was rarely wrong but he was wrong about that wasn't he
1: yeah and i mean this gets to what i was saying just before the break about you know noise was a great figure tom wolf wrote a great profile of him but to neglect the role of venture capital in the origin story of the valley is a huge mistake because the eight traitors that you were talking about when they left um shockley's company their idea was just to join another company and they would have done that, except that Arthur Rock showed up and said, why don't you instead start your own company? It was his idea, not theirs. Uh, and then he also helped them to think about using employee stock options uh, to give employees uh, skin in the game, uh, which became, of course, a huge tool for startups uh, down the ages. So my, 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 my role here is slightly to offer a, a parallel narrative about how the Valley succeeded. It's not just about the entrepreneurs. It's not just about the inventors. Important, though, people like Steve Jobs obviously are. It's also about the venture capitalists who enable their risk-taking. People only take risk if somebody underwrites it. uh, And that's what venture capitalists do.
0: You make the separation between the entrepreneurs, the Steve Jobs, and the Arthur Rocks of the world. But often they swap camps. Recently out here has been a big debate public spat over what Web3 means. Very interesting debate, actually, between Mark Andreessen and Jack Dorsey. I'm not sure if Jack Dorsey is a formal venture capitalist. I'm sure he will end his career as one. He's now uh, he's given up being CEO of Twitter. He's now just at Square. Mark Andreessen, uh, though, is what was the um, was the technologist and the spirit, the pioneer of Netscape, he made his fortune there, but now he runs uh, Andreessen Horowitz, which is probably the most influential venture capitalist uh, firm in the valley. Most entrepreneurs, most or many successful entrepreneurs make the shift over to venture capital. It's a natural shift, isn't it, Sebastian?
1: Yeah, because venture capital is not like other kinds of finance, it involves rolling up your sleeves Getting involved in the companies that you invest in, mentoring the founders, guiding them, not getting in their way, but being there and contributing. And obviously, if you've had experience as a founder yourself, you're better at doing that.
0: One of my favorite uh, venture capitalists is Mike Moritz. He was an investor. Uh, he was uh, at Sequoia Capital. Made famously, I think he uh, he made early investments in Google and many other. Companies. He also seems to be a good guy. It was a British journalist who, 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 who moved over. Are there good venture capitalists? Are there venture capitalists like Moritz who seem like normal human beings in contrast with someone like Vinod Koslo, who's a genius but crazy and in many ways objectionable?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think there are plenty of uh, venture capitalists who are, who are good guys, or unfortunately, not so many good women because only 16% of venture partners. Are women and uh, we can get into that but
0: yeah you um, remind us of that and the 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 kleiners and the der's and the Moritzes are of course white men and it's very much of a white male dominated industry
1: yeah although of course costa is not a white male but and and, and asian americans are quite well represented mm. but otherwise black investors are rare women investors are too rare and that's that's you know if you're trying to create the future for all of society you should look a bit more like society. In my
0: so if you're a black female mm-hmm. tech executive watching this you should chance your arm in venture capital it's probably a great time to jump in isn't it? Yeah
1: I think you should do it if you want to do it I don't think you I mean if you're a tech executive you're probably having a pretty interesting time as it is. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well if I there are any black
0: people. black female tech executives watching maybe they will listen to your wisdom. Um okay. I'm confused, Sebastian, in some ways, of what exactly venture capital is. Uh, many years ago, I had Paul Graham, another British-born American sci- uh, uh, computer scientist, investor, entrepreneur on the show. It wasn't, it, this was pre uh, on. It was called After TV. Uh, Graham has, bought, uh, has built Y Combinator, which is an early-stage investment platform, what he calls a startup accelerator, and he's become very successful, very wealthy, and in some ways quite controversial in the Valley. At what point does an early stage investor become a venture capitalist? Or is anyone who invests in early stage tech companies or any companies, are they by definition venture capitalists?
1: Well, you're right to be confused because this terminology is confusing and people don't have clear lines. I would say that you know venture capital is an umbrella term which includes accelerators like Y Combinator, where when you've got an idea for a company, but you haven't actually formed it yet, you go spend eight weeks and that accelerates you to, to doing the company or figuring out that you shouldn't do the company. Um, there are angel investors uh, as part of the ecosystem. Then there, Which are...
0: is a great phrase. I mean, there's, there's no better phrase than an angel investor.
1: I describe the manner of some of these uh, angel investors who write checks without actually asking the entrepreneur whether there is a company to write the check to. So with Google, for example, uh, Andy Bettelsheim, the famous engineer who helped to start Sun Microsystems, just went and grabbed a checkbook, wrote a check and say, Uh, "Here." and Larry and Sergey say, well, we don't have a bank account. It's not incorporated. We don't have an account for, for Google Inc. And he said, well, when you have an account, you can stick this check in there. Um, So the angels can be pretty informal, um, but they bring... I mean,
0: he was smart. Not all the angels are as equally smart or as well-connected as him. I think, wasn't he introduced through Bezos? or so Bezos was one of those four early investors in, um, in, in Google.
1: That's right. There were four angels who banded together. Between them, they put in about a million dollars, which meant that when Google was ready to go to the venture capitalists, they'd made quite a lot of progress with the tech, and they could then impose the toughest terms ever on the Series A investors and say, right, you know, we've got the search engine, it works, we've demoed it, you know, it's the best. So if you want to invest, here are the terms, you're going to put in 25 million, you're going to get a remarkably small share of our company, take it or leave it.
0: And one of those uh, venture capitalists was Moritz, wasn't it?
1: That's right. It was John Doerr for Kleiner and Mike Moritz for Sequoia, and they went in together. They were not used to sharing the limelight, but in this case, they were forced to do so. And, uh, and next they, job they're, they're t- hardly
0: t- regretting it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: I don't know what that investment's worth now, but a horribly obscene amount. You had an interesting piece in the uh, in the Washington Post. Uh, sorry, New York Times. Um, um, uh, actually. The beginning of the week, uh, last week uh, about what elizabeth holmes and theranos reveals about venture capitalism and it's not one what it's not what one would expect of course holmes is anything but sherlock holmes really a, a criminal probably deserves to be in jail and theranos was a scam what does it reveal though about venture capital
1: well less than one might think because most of the funding nearly all the funding that that theranos raised was not from venture capitalists; it was from venture tourists. I mean, people like Rupert Murdoch, who fancy trying a uh, you know a bit of Las Vegas gambling on tech. Yeah,
0: I like you. venture. Venture tourists is a is is a nice euphemism, <laughs> Sebastian. I think we could describe we could use other words as well for that.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, the Walton family of Walmart fame kicked in a lot of money, and so the real sort of professional VCs when they met with. Elizabeth Holmes, would ask questions about how the technology worked and whether she could show some evidence. And she would sort of walk out of the room before the meeting was finished because she couldn't. So they detected the fraud. Um, And uh, so I think the VCs on the whole came out reasonably well.
0: We are talking with Sebastian Malaby, the author of The Power Law, Venture Capital in the Making of the New Future. Sebastian, to what extent Has the industry itself, um, is it being shaped or reshaped by the very power law you talk about? You had an interesting piece in the information this week as well about Tiger Global. Tiger Global, like SoftBank, is a new kind of venture capital firm, which is way larger, which perhaps reflects your power law. To what extent uh, is venture capital itself? are vulnerable to a winner-take-all economy which will destroy middle-market companies like Kleiner Perkins?
1: I think there'll be a role for the traditional early-stage um, companies that that model themselves. I would say the archetype is Benchmark. You know, benchmark got started in 1995, went on to do eBay and Uber and lots of other hits. But their their kind of founding manifesto was Glory does not go to the people with the, you know, the big troops. It goes to the the small band which shoots accurately. And so they deliberately made a thing about raising a first fund less than one hundred million, and they were proud of that. And I think that kind of cottage industry style, if you do it really well, if you pick good bets, and if you mentor the founders, you can still do incredibly well, as Benchmark has done and is doing. But then there are going to be other companies that go really big, that try to copy Tiger Global, which is much more, let's invest later stage, when the startup is already established, where now it's series F or whatever it is. And these companies need checks of $100 million. They're already worth a few billion. And we'll just take a lot of exposure very efficiently to all of these emerging tech companies. And in general, tech is taking over the economy, so this will do well. And that's that is a radical new strategy which didn't exist 15 years ago in that piece in in the information I tell the story of how it started with Tiger Global. Um, But that is a bit of a disruption, you're right.
0: And disruption is the middle name of venture capital. Um, You mentioned earlier, Sebastian, that the venture capital industry is not very transparent. It's a mystery to most of us. There have been lots of rumors about some VCs in the Valley going public My old friend, Keith Tear, I co-host a show, uh, That Was The Week, a tech show with him every week. He's particularly interested in in investment business. And he believes that the venture industry is gonna have to become more transparent and go public. He also thinks that's a good thing because it will allow ordinary people who don't have access to invest in venture capital funds to actually get a piece of early stage companies like Google, uh, do you agree with Keith? Do you think that the venture industry will become more transparent, that many of the large firms will become public companies, enabling ordinary stock investors to put money into them and and, and realise the upside?
1: I'm in favour of transparency, but I don't think it's going to play out exactly as your friend was saying. I mean, I think that um, when when the private equity companies or indeed a few hedge funds have gone public, it's not really about being transparent. They've got no desire to be transparent. What they want to do is, you know, cash out if they're the founders. They want to turn the management company into a publicly traded stock, which they can sell. Uh, That's what's behind it. So it may happen that some venture capital companies do that, but it won't be for reasons of being delighted to be transparent. It'll be for reasons of of the greed of the founders to be to be quite frank. Um, So I'm not sure that going public is a great thing because it it dilutes the incentives that private partnerships create, which are very strong, uh, for the partners to just go all out to, to invest as well as possible.
0: Sebastian, I know you've got to run, but I do have a final question. It's the most important question, which I realize I haven't asked. How do venture capitalists make their money?
1: They take uh, 20% of the upside on the investments that they make. So, you know, that's, that could be a pretty big chunk of money. Uh, and they give the other eighty percent to the outside investors who provide the capital. That's the principal way in which they get paid.
0: So in that sense, they're like real estate agents. They don't um, they don't get a wage. They they simply earn a commission on successful transactions. Is that fair?
1: Well, they also it's not quite that simple because there's a two and twenty structure quite often, meaning that there's a two percent management fee. So they can get decent salaries on top of that. Amazing upside. So I think they go from being well compensated from the salary to being extraordinarily well compensated because they get that carry. And if the fund does well, then they're really off to the races.
0: Well, they seem to be off to the races. The one thing I am not worrying about is venture capitalists putting food on the table. They are the the super rich. They are the um they are the uh the in 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 Tom Wolfe's terms, they are the um uh they are the figures in uh in uh bonfire of the vanities they are uh the superpowers i guess of our modern age and um sebastian uh, malaby a british based uh, journalist and authority on financial institutions has written a wonderful new book the power law of venture capital and the making of the new future it's just out this week congratulations sebastian what else Thank should you. people be reading In early February 2022, Sebastian, in addition to your new book, The Power Law.
1: So I've just been reading um, this book uh, by Mark Carney, who ran the Bank of England and uh, the Bank of Canada for a dozen years. Yeah, a wise man, I've heard. He's a wise man. And he's writing about this issue that you were getting at, which is, you know, just because something is priced at a high price doesn't necessarily mean it's value is all that terrific. So he takes this idea that you can know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And he tries to reinterpret capitalism on that basis.
0: We'll have to get Mark Carney on the show. Do you know him? I do. Mm, I'll have to, I'll have to be nice to you, Sebastian. Maybe you'll introduce me. Thank you again. Congratulations on the book. Love to have you on the show. Many, many issues which uh, need to be fleshed out. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.